We're going through a pillar series. What is the DNA of Lakeview Church? Where are we going? Have we arrived? Absolutely not. But we're headed somewhere. We're going someplace. And there's some things that God would have us to get in order to uh, begin to embrace, I believe, in order to go to the next place that God would have for this church to go. The first pillar that we went over was uh, church with a heart. We've uh, got ministry in the jail. We're doing uh, some homeless ministry, some street ministry. Uh, We've uh, got our our deaf ministry that started over here. So glad to have them. We're uh, trying to branch out anywhere and any place. God might give you a put a passion in your heart for something. And if he puts a passion in your heart for something, let's talk about it and see what God wants you to do for the kingdom of God and how to further this thing. The second pillar that we talked about last week was prayer, that we've got to be a church that prays. And not just corporately an hour once a week, but but in our private lives, we have to walk in a continuity with God and relationship with God as we're going forward each and every day. Now, the third pillar here that we're going to go over today is... We've got to be a church that hears the voice of God. We've got to be a church that can hear the voice of God and respond to the voice of God uh, in the right time, in the right season. Um, I remember Miss Eileen, I had the privilege of of doing her home-going service, but Bob told me a story about Miss Eileen uh, that she was a pig farmer, believe it or not, and, yeah, and, and she never had a hair out of place, was always dressed to the nines, just the most elegant lady you've ever met in your life. And she was a pig farmer. And Bob told me then they'd go to, the, to, the, to get feed and to pick up things in the store and to take the, mar- the pigs to market, that they would, uh, the people working the market would say, I've never seen a pig farmer look like that. <laughs> She's just the neatest, the neatest lady. Well, Bob told me a story of a time when he was trying to get uh, this pig to get in a certain place, and he chased it all day long, spent all day trying to get this pig. He said, finally, Miss Aline come home and called the pig by its name, and it came running right to her. <laughs> I thought, man, if you get a pig to know your voice, you are, you are in new territory. Uh, But Jesus makes a similar statement in John in the 10th chapter. And we're going to be looking at 1 Kings 19. But I just want to kind of go through this uh, scripture in John chapter 10 just so you get the flavor of it. This is what Jesus says, John chapter 10. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter the sheepfold by the door but climbs in another way, that man is a thief and a robber. Uh, But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. Uh, To him the gatekeeper opens, the sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. How many of you know you can hear the words of Jesus, but not really understand what he's saying to us? So here in this scripture, Jesus makes an interesting observation. Jesus makes an observation that 
Only the shepherd can get in by the right access to the sheep. That the shepherd would use the door, that anybody else that would try to climb in and go in another way would be a thief or a robber. And so here's this mental picture that I believe the Lord gave me was that we're kind of in this pen and we're sheep if we are following God. And as we are sheep, there's others trying to climb in and get the sheep's ear so that they could keep them from following the shepherd and to go the way the shepherd, the good shepherd, would have them to go. So there's people climbing in, but do we know the shepherd because he would enter in by the door. And Jesus goes on to tell us in John chapter 10 that Jesus is the door. That he is the gate. So that we enter in as sheep through that door. Jesus is the door, goes through the door, and then guess what? He's the shepherd. So Jesus is the door we enter in, and then he's the great shepherd that's calling his sheep by name and leading them out. Now what happens sometimes is we understand Jesus is the door. And we put our faith in Jesus and we went through the door. But we don't understand that Jesus is also the shepherd. So we've entered the door, but we treat Jesus like an inanimate object. Then salvation doesn't become the entry level into life as a sheep following the shepherd. It becomes entering a pen and checking off some punch list that says, well, I did that prayer, I said that thing, I did that thing. And so what happens is we have a bunch of sheep that are still in the pen. And Jesus is trying to call us out by name and saying, no, you don't understand. I didn't save you so you could stay in the pen. I saved you where you could hear my voice and you could begin to flow in the Holy Spirit and begin to be led out into something greater than what you could ask or think. And so Jesus is calling his sheep by name. And the sheep, the Bible says, know his voice. That they'll know the voice of God. That when they hear the voice of Jesus, they're going to know. And they're going to follow. And they're going to come. So then the question becomes, well, I don't know the sheep I don't know the shepherd's voice. Well then you have to ask yourself am I a sheep? See this is where the rubber meets the road in Christianity, right? We've all stepped forward and made the response to give our hearts to Jesus, but are we following him now? Are we following Jesus? Now, do we long for, do we crave, do we hear his voice, do we want to hear his voice, or have we just merely treated Jesus like a door and then stopped there? See, if I say that you're a sheep in today's culture, that's a, like a pejorative, that's a, that's a negative term. Say, man, you're a sheep. Say, hmm. It means that you're a follower. But Jesus says the essence of Christianity is that you're a sheep. <laughs> so the next time somebody says, are you a sheep? Say, 
Yeah, I'm a sheep. I'm following Jesus. Because Jesus says that I need to be a sheep. And so we must follow the voice of God that the essence of this relationship with God is sheep and shepherd. And I believe the reason some of us are so wore out and so tired and and not finding our joy in Christianity is because we quit listening to the shepherd. Because the Bible says the shepherd will take us and make us lie down in green pastures besides the still waters, and he restores our soul. But when we're not listening to the voice of the shepherd and following the shepherd, we never get made to lay down and to take the sustenance of Jesus and to be in the still waters and to be in the presence of God. And so we're just confused sheep without a shepherd. Jesus wants us to hear the voice of Him. That He craves for us to know His voice. See, in American Christianity, we're so self-sufficient. We don't need God for anything. The only time we bring God in is if some tragedy happens or something beyond our control. And sometimes God uses that, and that's a good thing. There's wake-up calls in Christianity. I know that. But that's not walking in relationship with God. See, walking in relationship with God would be going lock and step with Jesus every single day of our life. And until we get to the place where we crave God's voice more than any other voice, and we're willing to let that lead us beyond anything else, we'll always be confused, frustrated, tired, mad, upset, and angry, and God will never be able to lead us to that place that He wants to lead us to. But the voice of God is always leading us to the peace of God. And when we won't listen to the voice of God, God has to begin stripping us of the things that we prefer to listen to. That there's a great stripping that comes from God when we won't choose to listen to the voice of God. And if we're not stripped, we won't listen sometimes. And so God will take us through this process of of stripping the story of one of the greatest composers to ever live named Ludwig von Beethoven. And Beethoven wrote eight symphonies with the ability to hear. By the time he was at his ninth symphony, he had gone completely deaf. So he had to figure out how he was going to compose the symphony. So he cut the legs off his piano where it laid directly on the ground. He stripped himself completely naked and laid prostrate on the ground with his ear to the floor to hear the vibrations and laid prostrate and wrote Beethoven's Ninth Symphony like that. When they took him to the performance and his symphony was played, he couldn't hear one note of it. The conductor points at Beethoven and has to tell him to stand up and has to turn him around to show him the audience that is giving him a standing ovation. 
And Beethoven said, in heaven, I'll hear. But here's the reality. Here's the reality. He had already heard. He had already heard. See, sometimes God has to strip us when we get desperate for the voice of God again. Sometimes God has to strip us and shake us at our foundations where we'll be hungry enough to hear the voice of God again. And this is what God is trying to do in our lives. He wants us to get passionate about the voice of God. It's why we see in Ezekiel 37 the dry bones, right? The bones have to be dry before they listen to the voice of God. They had to lose their ears before they could hear. Bones. It had to be bones that were prophesied to so they could hear. See, some of you are being stripped down to the core of your foundations. And all God's doing is say, I want you to hear again. I want you to hear again. I want you to be passionate about the voice of God in your life again. I want that to be the guiding principle of everything that you do is fellowship with me and listening and waiting and hearing the voice of God in your life. This is what God wants to do. 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 1. Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah saying, So may the gods do to me and more also if I do not make your life as, the one, as one of them by this time tomorrow. Now watch this transition, verse 3. Then he, talking about Elijah, was afraid. And he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. See, in this dispensation of salvation, the prophets were God's messengers. And that's what Elijah was. Elijah was to hear the voice of God, and he was to communicate the voice of God. Now, in the New Testament dispensation, the Spirit of God has been poured out on all flesh. And so the Bible tells us in Joel 2, when Peter preaches that in Acts 2, Joel 2, that he talks about all people will prophesy, that all people will begin to hear the voice of God and have the Spirit of God and be able to walk in relationship with God and be able to have divine direction. It says the old men will dream dreams, the young men will see visions, the handmaidens, the slave class are going to experience the Spirit of God on them and they're going to have the ability to walk with God and hear His voice in their life. Now in this time, Elijah's experienced a bunch of victories from this point. Elijah has seen fire come down from heaven. I mean, he even had so much faith, he made it hard. He dug a trench around the altar, filled it with water and poured water on the sacrifice and said, okay, if you want to worship Baal, worship Baal, but the God who answers by fire, that's going to be the God who's the actual real God. And he calls down fire from heaven. 
I'm sorry, but if I would have had that experience, I would like to think that I would have been good to go for the rest of my life. Right? I would have thought, wow. He prophesies and stops it from raining for three and a half years. And then at his word, it begins to rain again. Okay, Elijah, we're in tall cotton here, right? Elijah experienced many victories. He finds a widow in Zarephath. And the man of God says to this widow, who's got a little bit of oil left, who's about to make her last meal, and then the Bible says that she says, we're going to make this last meal and then we're going to die. Imagine the headline, preacher asked widow for her last meal. But God was in it, and he told her to get every empty vessel, and the more she poured, the more it filled up. And all of a sudden, the most uh, pitiful lady in the whole story becomes the wealthiest lady because she just, all she does is just keep pouring as this prophet had commanded. Man, this guy's got it going his way. But there's this Jezebel. (laughs) There's a Jezebel. And Jezebel just sends a word. Doesn't even send an army. Doesn't send anything. Sends a word. And now he's devastated. Prophet who has seen so much amazing stuff. So much great things. You know what I've found is you can hear a hundred good jobs. But one word of negativity It's all you'll think about all day long. You go home and dwell about it. You can see the hand of God moving all across. But one word can crush your spirit and make you feel down. One bad word seemed to have train wrecked an entire resume of supernatural work. And where that word came in, it destroyed the possibility of Elijah's future. He quit seeing his future, and he couldn't even look back at his past victories. Is that it stunned him, it stopped him. In an address to pastor, Stuart, Stuart Briscoe said this, a pastor must have the mind of a scholar, the heart of a child, and the hide of a rhinoceros. Verse 4, but he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, it is enough now. O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. See, he understands that the call is by grace because he's right. He is no better than his father's, but the call of God is without repentance. That's why Jeremiah says, man, God, every time I speak your words, I get in a bunch of trouble and bad things seem to happen. 
but there's like a fire shut up in my bones. And if I don't get this word out, God, I'm not even going to be able to live with myself. I've got to speak the words that you give me. This is the kind of passion that God puts within us. We're a child of God. Verse 5, and he lay down and slept under a broom tree. And behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was a, at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a, water, and a jar of water. And he ate and drank and laid down again. Sometimes you need a couple naps just to get back on track here. <laughs> Verse 7, And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. Verse 8, And he arose and ate and drank and went in the, in the strength that the food for 40 days and 40 nights empowered him to do, and he went to Horeb, the mount of God. So here we have a picture here of the wilderness testing of Jesus. This meal that sustained for 40 days, but do you know what, do you know what Elijah had to do to get his groove back? He had to go back to the mountain of God where he originally had heard the voice of God. He had to go back to the place to where he had heard the voice of God and get alone with God again. Because he understood if he didn't get a word from the Lord, if he didn't hear God's voice, he was done for in that moment right there. Verse 9, and he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I've been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, killed your prophets with the sword, and I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. Behold, the Lord passed by. Now get this, in a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But get this next line, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. Verse 12, and after the earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. Now watch this. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. In the Hebrew, it's better put, a thin silence. So subtle that it could be mistaken for silence if you didn't actually hear something here. That it would have been silence here, but it wouldn't have been here. That something would have begun to stir and know that something was heard. In other words, a supernatural noise that could only be heard by the Spirit. The Hebrew word is, is demamah. And it's used three times in the Bible, only three times. Once in Psalm 107 where it talks of God calming the storm. It's used the time in Job where Job says, I heard silence and then a voice. And then it's used here as a low whisper. 
that the only thing that's going to calm the storm in your life is not going to be the earthquake, it's not going to be the mountains moving and things rendering. What's going to calm the storm in your life is for you to get back into the quiet place and hear the voice of God afresh for your life and allow God to speak that word to calm the storm again in your life. You've got to hear that gentle whisper again. You've got to hear silence and then a voice. The quiet, the calm, the silence, the still, but yet the voice. See, in the Gospels, Jesus speaks of those who have ears to hear. He speaks of those who have ears to hear. He'll say a tough parable or say a tough teaching, and then he'll say, let he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Now, you would think if you've got ears, you would be able to hear by default. But I submit to you right now that these right here have just as much a chance of hearing the voice of God as anybody else in this room. That these ears are different kind of ears. And we talked about last week prayer and opening the eyes of our heart. But these are ears of the soul that long for the voice of God and would hear the voice of God and would want the voice of God to be the central thing of their life. Ears are a feature shared by all of humanity and it would be unnatural to not be able to hear. But here Jesus says these are different kinds of ears. The phrase is repeated throughout the book of Revelation. Let he who has ears to hear, hear. The letters to the seven churches. Revelation 2, 7. It's in Revelation 2, 17. It's repeated again in Re Revelation 2, 29. It's in Revelation 3, 6. It's in Revelation 3, I believe, 13. And then it's in the 13th chapter of Revelation after he describes the Antichrist and then says, let he who has ears to hear, let him hear. But whoever has ears will have a supernatural insight to navigate the last tumultuous days and understand what it is to be led by the Spirit of God. Hebrews chapter 11 verse 8 says this, By faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. That Abraham's faith was built on the fact of, you better have ears. Because he was going to have to walk by faith and that the appearance of things could not be the determining factor that dictated where he was going to go. When God begins to renew the covenant with Abram in, in Genesis 15, 1 through 6, he says this, And after this, the things, the things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? For I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him. This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward the heavens and number 
the stars. If you're able to number them, then he said, so shall your offspring be. Verse 6, and he believed the Lord and he counted it to him as righteousness. See, some of us have been in the tent too long. Some of us have been in the tent too long. And you forgot the promises of God. Because this is the only place you try to hear God's voice and have any time with him. is right here. You can't see the stars from under here. You can't see the stars here. See, God had to get Abraham and say, come up out of that tent. You need to change your perspective and realize there's a whole world out here, that there's a world of possibilities, that your faith needs to rise up and begin to get outside of yourself and realize it's not by strength, it's not by power, but it's by might, saith the Lord, and that God can accomplish great things. So he gets him outside of himself, and now he's looking up at the stars. So suddenly he went from the tent saying, all I got is Eleazar. And God says, oh, you don't understand. I need you to look at the stars again. I need you to dream again. I need you to have faith again because there's something God's wanting to do in your life. There's something that God's wanting to stir up. And I don't care how dead you are sitting there. I'm going to preach till somebody gets this thing and gets out of here and goes lays hand on the sick and they recover and goes and witnesses and sees people get saved and goes into the jails and sees the things turned upside down. Some of you need to go look at the stars again. Look at the stars again. Don't limit God to what he can do in your life. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what you've done. I don't care about your past. God's got things for you. He wants to speak to you. I remember my wife and I, we were in Fort Smith, and we're eating at this restaurant. This guy's sitting over next to me. And he's just down in beers, like, I mean, just chugging them fast as he possibly could. And he'd pull his money out, and he'd count his money, and he would order another one. And I knew what he was doing. He was seeing how many he could afford. And we were sitting over there, and my wife and I are talking, and the Lord spoke to me and said, he's thinking about suicide. Go over and talk to him. Oh, God, he's trying to enjoy his meal over there. I'm not going to. Oh, don't get all high and holy on me now. Come on now. Don't act like you hadn't argued with the Lord. I said, okay, God, I'll put my neck on the line here. So I sat down. I said, can I sit here with you? He said, yeah. I said, I'm going to ask you a question. If you tell me, get out of here, leave me alone, don't talk to me anymore, I'll totally get it. But I just feel in my heart that the Lord told me that you was contemplating suicide. And he said, yeah, I have been. And we got to pray right there. You got to have the voice of God in your life. At all times. I remember I was wrapping up a youth service one time and I just had this... This, this impression, this picture just kind of impressed itself on me. And I just saw somebody with a gun and putting it in their mouth. And I just said, somebody here has thought about suicide. And God's saying, don't do it. 
He loves you, and there is good things ahead, and it's a lie from the enemy. And that's it. And I just dismissed in prayer and thought, wow, that was weird. A week later, a young man comes up to me and said, that was me. He said, I had the gun in my mouth, but I couldn't pull the trigger. Church, we've got to be a supernatural church that has the voice of God in our life. And right now you're getting my highlight reel. I've, I've botched it a few times too, okay? So I remember I preached on Ezekiel 37 at a church. After the service, a lady comes up to me and says, my daughter isn't going to make it. They've given her 24 hours to live. The Lord said, well, you did just preach on Ezekiel 37, the dry bones coming to life. Thought, well, I guess I better put my money where my mouth is. So I said, let's go. We went to the hospital. She's on a machine. She's just laying there in ICU. I said, let's just, get, let's just hold hands here and see what God wants to do. I think God wants to do something. And so we prayed. There wasn't no big shout. The presence of God didn't fill the room. There wasn't an earthquake or a... It was actually kind of flat. And I thought, well, that wasn't nothing. I walked out of there. Curiosity got the best of me. So I went up there the next day. She's sitting up in her bed eating, and they sent her home that day. the voice of God what if I hadn't had the voice of God I can't tell you how many times being with my wife my wife say pull over I gotta go back in that restaurant gotta go back I don't even ask now I just pull in and just let her go prophesy there's people in two different there's three people in two different states that have children that were told they couldn't have children and Emily prophesied it before they could even have them. I'm telling you, I've seen it with my own eyes. Remember I had a bunch of safety recalls on my vehicle, so I'm sitting in there. The Lord speaks to my heart. Buy that lady's repairs and write her a note. Tell her I love her. Okay. Bought the lady's repairs, write her a note, fold it up, give it to her, say, God bless you, walked out, didn't see the lady again. I'm believing that God is doing something there. And I could tell you time after time after time that the voice of God in a still, small whisper that I was like, is that really you, God? <laughs> Because it's a low whisper. It's a thin silence where you can't mistake it for anything else. And then your heart starts racing and you know that you know that you know. I remember one time we were in a service and there was a man there and he was the epitome of a Christian, right? Right? You know what I'm talking about. 
got his dockers on, his shirt tucked in, hair parted right, probably homeschooled. Y'all know what I'm saying. Come on now. And Emily calls him out in the middle of a service. I thought, what could be wrong with that guy? And she said, come here. And she said, you need to quit thinking about death. Because God's not done with you and has so much more for you to do. His lip didn't quiver. His eyebrow didn't flinch. He just did one of these right here. And then went back to his seat. I thought, ooh, she missed that one. <laughs> ooh. He ain't coming back. <laughs> Yikes. She blew it. <laughs> Three months passed. And we were at Rod's Pizza Cellar, believe it or not. <laughs> we go there all the time, but guy says, hey, y'all come sit with me. The same guy was there, randomly. We didn't, didn't plan or anything. He said, come here, sit at, sit at our table. We want to we talk to y'all. And he was there with his best friend, his wife, and his entire family. And he said, you don't know this, but I was planning a life insurance policy and was ready to die and was telling the Lord to take me because I didn't feel like there was anything left for me to do on the earth. And his best friend spoke up and said, we talk about everything. And I did not know that that was going through his mind. And he said, I just want to thank you for pulling me out of that pit because I knew only God could have let you know something like that. <laughs> I'm telling you, we've got to be a church that hears the voice of the Lord. Romans 10, 17 says, Faith comes by hearing and hearing from the word of Christ. Now, well, there's two kinds of words in the Bible. There's the logos, and then there's the rhema word. Now, in the Greek language, the logos refers to the whole enchilada. It refers to the gathering of thoughts, the working them out in your mind, the process of figuring out how to you want to express them and how you're going to put them down on paper and, and then, then listening to what the other person is going to respond. The Logos has to do with all of that. The Rhema is a sub-counterpart, a sub-component of the Logos. And the Rhema is merely when the word is actually spoken and leaves the lips. That as God is contemplating and thinking and getting his stuff down and when he's processing and but then there's a moment to where his word leaves his mouth and enters your heart. That faith comes by hearing but hearing from 
the words that fall from the lips of God himself. That we serve a God who speaks and a God who wants to speak to your heart. It doesn't have to be a big production. It doesn't have to be fancy. It doesn't have to be done with a certain flair. Just the simple, low whisper, the thin silence of God to the receptive heart that says, God, I want to hear. I want to hear. Give me direction. Speak to my heart. And one of those words can set you free and change your life forever and ever and ever. If you'll let him speak. So I want to ask you, would you take your earplugs out? And maybe the thing he's been asking you to do is the thing that you didn't want to do. (laughs) So he's not speaking to you about anything else because there's this other thing that he's really wanting you to address. Or there is a possibility that you're not a sheep and so you're not going to hear his voice because you've yet to go through the door and to say, Jesus, make you, I need you to be my shepherd. See, we're all in here in a different place today. Some of us, like Elijah, we had great stories in the past of how God spoke to us, but we're not hearing the voice of the Lord anymore because maybe someone come in and hurt you or did something. It hurts your heart. We're human, man. It's okay to hurt. It's okay to hurt. But just as real as you're hurting, I believe God in the same way wants to heal. Wants to heal hearts today. Would you bow your heads with me?